When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. We're playing 11 against 11. Someone on a motorcycle comes in the stadium, a motorcycle with two wheels in front and one wheel in the back, leather suit on, and it's Adebayor. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. You're now listening to The Coaches Network podcast aiming to bring people at the heart of coach and player development together. My name is Coach Yas, a UEFA A licensed, FA Advanced Youth Award and FA Goalkeeper B licensed coach. With over 10 years of experience working in youth football from grassroots right through to Premier League academies, I'm currently operating as an affiliate tutor for the FA alongside working towards a Masters in Performance Football Coaching. Today I'm going to be joined by my co-host and the Coaches Network Analysis Specialist, Coach Ben. Ben is a UEFA A licensed coach who holds the FA Youth Award and a Masters in Sports Coaching, with 10 years of experience including working across the male and female youth development pathways, alongside a vast experience on individual, player and team performance analysis. And as part of our Insight series, we'll be joined by a range of individuals working across multiple disciplines within the coaching world in order to explore their journeys and dig deeper into their experiences, so that we can leave you with some golden nuggets to help you reach your full potential. Welcome back to another episode of the Coaches Network. My name is Coach Yas, and today I'm joined by my co-host Ben. Um, and we've got a very special guest with us today, Tom Saint Feet. Tom Saint Feet is currently the national team coach of Gambia. Um, he's had a very illustrious uh, and well-travelled career. Um, welcome, Tom. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Nice being here. Perfect. Uh, Tom, we're just going to get straight into it. You know, we, we, you know, you've had a long journey so far and a very interesting one definitely and um, would you mind just sharing with listeners and ourselves where your coaching journey started yeah um just like of all kids uh, you have a dream to become a professional football player i think many of us started like that um i played in belgium for some uh, professional uh, youth developments uh, premier league and second division teams in belgium uh, like lomo gale westerlo made up to the second team of westerlo then came in uh, in the first team of uh, leuven um and was always on the balance between uh, professional football semi professional football but never had the feeling that i really could make it as a player <clears throat> so um also my father said clear you have to combine it with a study and uh, uh maybe go a few years back when I was 17 and I had to write my scripture, my thesis. Uh, I wrote a thesis about football and coaching uh, and I went to university to study uh, sports psychology. So everything was already there. I was still playing football, but everyone was already, everything was already there uh, in the mind to become a coach. And uh, bad luck or maybe lucky, I got a lot of injuries. I got six times a cruciate ligament injury, injury on my knee, three times ankle ligament injury. And by the age of 23, I said, I called it a day. I say, I stopped playing football. I'm going to focus uh, on, on a new career as, as a coach. I started my uh, coaching degrees. And by 24, I became the youngest head coach, a manager of a first team, 
uh, in lower leagues in Belgium. And from that moment, I, I focused on, on, on becoming a coach. The first three, four years, it was on uh, amateur semi-pro base. And then when I was 27, 28, I became a full-time coach. And yeah, it went up uh, from Belgium and a whole tour almost around the world, step-by-step uh, step higher, also developing myself with coach education, getting my degrees, B license, A license, pro license, physical coaching degree in Holland, skill development, curve method. Uh, so uh, yeah, step-by-step step, climbing the ladder. And there was a clear goal. As a player, I couldn't make the top. So the goal was there to do it as a coach. Brilliant. And just on that, you know, you, you talk about your qualifications there, your B license, A license, pro license. Um, they were done in Holland, is that correct? No, I did uh, the, the, the UEFA BA and pro in Belgium, but okay. my physical coaching license I did in Holland. Okay, sure. And then just, you know, just talk us through that because, you know, at 24, very young age to become a head coach, especially in a, in a, in a, in a I guess, a professional setting. Yeah, it's, uh, it was, everyone um, said it was uh, suicidal. I thought it was the best way to, to, to learn the job. Um, I had players, my oldest player was 37 <laughs> and I was 24. So it was, it was, it was quite funny. And, and to be honest, when you start as a coach, and I think all of us who started as a coach experience the same, you think you know everything. You know, you think you are the best. Uh, you know everything, and you're gonna teach everything what to do. Um, that's the the youth uh, in yourself. Uh, you can beat the whole world, uh, but you learn through all the years. When I started, naturally, I made a lot of mistakes. Uh, if I look back, I'm totally not anymore the same coach as I was of I am now. But um, uh, it was so important for my career to start on that young age because all the experience I gained in that period, I, I grew and I learned from it and I became stronger. And the good thing was the players accepted me. Uh, in the beginning, we had some discussions with some people outside who said from, hey, how can players respect a coach of, of 24 if the players are older than that? And then I said always clear, respect doesn't come by age, respect comes by quality. And if a coach of 24 uh, makes sense in his talks, in his uh, tactical ideas, in his training sessions, he will get respect uh, from the players. Mm. Uh, if a coach of 50 doesn't make sense, he will not be respected. So the age is not so important. The only problem is that uh, there are not a lot of clubs uh, having the balls, having the guts uh, to appoint a coach of that age. Uh, and I was lucky enough to get that opportunity. And I'm still thankful to that that club gave me that opportunity because it was a start of a new career for me. Brilliant. And just, just you know, talk to us a bit about the challenge there. So, you know, you, you say... Age is not necessarily a factor because essentially, if you've got the quality and you've got the, um, yeah, if you come in, if you come in with the, with the right stuff, then people are going to take to that more than look at your age, you know. But initially, there must be some hes- There probably was some hesitation and some resistance from players looking at yourself as a younger coach, especially as a younger coach, uh, someone who's younger than them as players. What were some of the challenges you faced in that, and maybe trying to get them around initially to buying into your concepts? Yeah, I, I maybe one one good story where I learned a lesson, and I think for for young coaches who are listening to this, they maybe can think about it. I had one one striker who was thirty six years old, who who earned more money than me, um, but who scored every season thirty to forty goals. Um, he he had in his contract that in the preseason he didn't have to train too much and he didn't have to play all the the friendly games. 
because he was afraid to be injured and he was older. So it was a little bit of power cra- crash uh, with uh, clash with me uh, as a young coach. When he came on training, I put him in the second team because yeah, he was not playing the preparation games. He went to the board and, and he said to the board, hey, what is this young guy doing? I have to train with the second team and not with the first team. Um, and then the board called me and I explained it and they agreed and they supported me and they said, you are right. If he doesn't want to play the friendlies in the preseason, you, he cannot be in the first team during the preseason uh, training sessions in that way. Uh, and that support was, was crucial, but it could have been also the end of my uh, short coaching career. And then I spoke with an experienced coach and he told me, um, as a coach, you, your ego is not important. Too many coaches focus on their ego and punish people uh, only to get power and to show their ego but be careful because on the end you can punish yourself uh, because if that player uh, that refused to play that season he scored 37 goals for me uh, so he was a very important player or the board would not support it would be maybe uh, the, the, the finish of my short career mm. uh, so it's very important as a coach and sure as a, as a beginning coach um, to find a balance between showing authority to, to your players and sure if you're young you have strict rules and, and everything has to happen like you want it but but you have to find a balance that you don't kill yourself. And uh, I learned a, a lot out of that. Um, lucky enough, I uh, had a, a group of players who really uh, were behind me, a few of important players, and, and, and they pulled me also through it. But sure, I mean, uh, they must have also believed in my quality uh, and the results were also decent. So I think it's also that if the results were terrible, it can you can be a very good coach if you don't get the results. It's also over and out. So you need a little bit of luck. You need a little bit of quality. Uh, and, and, and you have to fight for it. And you have to believe in your dreams and work hard on it. Definitely. And I think just on that, you know, a massive obviously, uh part of your journey there in those initial stages was getting that support from the club. Would you mind just sharing... You know a bit about how much confidence that then gave you, knowing that you had to support the club in that stage. Yeah, first of all, I think when you are twenty-four, I I spoke with several clubs, I applied for several clubs uh, to get a job, and every time I got the, the answer from no, you are too young to become a head coach here and there. So first of all, that showed already uh, confidence that that they were willing to appoint a very young coach. Uh, who had no experience as a coach. I, I was a player. I was a pro player, a semi-pro player. I had uh, started my uh, coaching licenses. I had my degree in uh, sport and business psychology. But there was no nothing what proved that I would become would be a good coach because I never had coached the team. So that was a, a first sign of confidence. Um, and naturally, in, in, in the preseason, when you have that clash with one of the major players and the club, the board... Uh, believes you and support you in your decision, that's a big sign. That's also a big sign to to the rest of the players because then they say, hey, uh, the coach is the boss. Even the star player cannot beat the coach. So in that way, that was a very big, important sign of the club. And I think everywhere where you work uh, in football, uh, you need the support of, of, the, of the people around you, the club, because otherwise you, you can't succeed. You will have always uh, difficulties. There will be always clashes with people and egos. Uh, but when you are a coach, you are responsible for, for the team, for the results. Um, but you need also to support to achieve these results. Uh, and too many coaches 
all over the world don't get that support and it has sometimes to do with politics within a club within an organization and that's very sad but i think from the start i felt that uh, support from the club i felt also the support of the majority of the players and yeah it was it was a very good uh, important school in my uh, in my coaching career Definitely. You know, we're going back 23 years now, 1997, you know, mm-hmm. start your coaching journey. What, you know, a way long, a long, long way back now. You spent, you know, maybe the first few years of your career working in the lower, Belgium, lower, lower divisions in Belgium. You then, uh, you know, you then, since then, you know, you've, you've traveled the world. You know, do you mind just sharing a bit about how you, how that started to begin to happen? You know, you ended up in Qatar at one point, you've ended up in, you know, various different countries and then eventually taking a real uh, journey around becoming a national team coach. You mind just sharing a bit about that that aspect of things? Yeah, sure. Um, when, I, when I was coaching in, in lower leagues in Belgium, I combined it with being youth coach for a second highest league team in Belgium. That was that time Dessel. So in, in England, it would be championship team. Uh, I, I was also youth coach there and I did some scouting for, for Kavi Mechler in the Premier League. So, I I was all, I was working full time with three different jobs in football and I had always the aim to to become a full time professional uh, coach manager, um, but there were always the boundaries when you applied for for the bigger clubs in in Belgium. And it was always yeah yeah but you are too young and eh? you had the experience of the lower leagues but to go higher and higher in professional football you got always that news from you got too young i spoke once or twice uh, with uh, with premier league teams to become assistant coach uh, on the age of 25 26 and and one 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 coach i still have a good relationship with him he was Wim de Koning he told me former national team player of belgium um, he told me hey tom um, if i appoint you in two weeks' time, you take over my job, <laughs> because I was so ambitious. I had so much belief in myself that, and and I was also not really an assistant coach, so it was quite tough. Um, I I made these steps at the start of my career in lower leagues, but I wanted more, and I didn't find the chance to 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 do that in my own country. I never had the intention to become a globetrotter, so as many people call me, or someone who would travel the world. That was not in my thoughts, but I wanted to do my job. I wanted to to coach on a full-time base as high as possible. And the limitation was there not to be able to do it in my own country, so I was forced to go abroad. And my first step was going to Faroe Islands. In 1996, I played a short time in Faroe Islands. I played for Klaxvik and TB Twerra and had still some connection there. And that I was 28 years old, got the opportunity to be B71 uh, to become a coach there. And it was, again, a very important step in, in, in my career to be full-time coach in a foreign country uh, with more responsibility and, and still on a very young age, uh, also with players who were older. And that went well. Um, but in my uh, practicum of, of being a coach, I did my practicum in Lierse a few years before. I met Walter Meus, former national team coach of Belgium, former player Standard Liège, Ajax Amsterdam, and we had a good click. And in 2003, he called me and he said, hey, Tom, uh, I have an offer to go to Qatar, to Al Ittihad, uh, to the Star League. At that time, Qatar was just starting uh, to, to start a professional league. Uh, are you interested to join me as my, as your assist, uh, as my assistant coach? 
And I had, yeah, I didn't have to think about it. I knew I was not an assistant coach, but I spoke with Walter and I said, hey, I'm not the typical assistant coach who put the cones and, and these. I want to be involved in decisions. I want to give training sessions. And he said, no problem. You can give the training sessions. We discuss all. And um, so he gave me also the confidence you need. He took me there. I was at that time 29, 30 years old. And I came in a league with Batistuta, Gordiola, Yero, Frank LeBuff, uh, Kanija, um, all the big guys, Basler, and I was just 30 years old and, 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 and my career just started. So this was also the luck to come immediately on a high level um, with a lot of respect from the outside world, uh, working with a very professional, experienced coach who qualified Belgium for the 1990 World Cup. And from one in the other, once you work abroad, you get more offers to work abroad because mm. people say, hey, he, he knows uh, how to adapt to <coughs> culture. He speaks the languages. Uh, he understands uh, how to work, how it is to work abroad. So more and more agents, more and more federations, more and more clubs start to notice me. And yeah, it started from, from there. And after Qatar, I did, uh, after Ali Tehat was involved with Qatar on the 17 national team, qualified for the World Cup. Then I wanted to return to, to Europe. I worked in Germany in a professional club, fourth highest league there. Um, got fired. Very important moment in my life uh, in 2005 when I got fired after 12 games uh, with Bivo Kloppenburg. Um, it was uh, a very shocking uh, um, second for me because uh, we had won six games, three draws and only three losses. I started with a lot of ambition to job. But my eyes opened there and I had changed as a coach. Maybe we can talk later about that. Um, and then I went to, to Holland to become technical director. First worked with the youth player like Bas Dost, uh, exporting Lisbon, now Frankfurt. I coached him in the under-19, brought him in the second team, gave him his first professional contract. Uh, but I had always the dream to work once uh, as national team coach. And then in 2008, I got the first opportunity to go to Namibia. And yeah, I did it very well. And from one came the other and I got more offers. So uh, a long career. Uh, it sounds uh, crazy, 23 years uh, coaching uh, and only 47 years old. But I'm very happy that that, uh, that I have this experience. It goes very fast. I still hope we have many years to go uh, mm. because I'm still eager to, to, to do much more. It's fantastic. And you're just talking there about, you know, you know your That's only, we only, we've only just got to, what, 2008, did you say there? Yeah, 2008, still, I got... Uh, the Naboo... Yeah. And you spent two years there, right? Uh, yeah, two. I, I, I signed first a four-month contract. And then I extended it to four years uh, with Namibia. Mm -hmm. um, we got very great results. Uh, it was a beautiful country. Namibia is one of the most beautiful countries, uh, I guess, on this planet. Uh, very modern, very well-organized, but beautiful nature. Uh, it's, it's, it's a very huge country compared to Belgium. 27 times the size of Belgium two times the size of Germany, but only two million people live there. So it was fantastic to, to be there. But uh, I, was, I was still young. I was 35 when I became national team coach. I was 37 when I left Namibia and was maybe one of, one of the few mistakes of one of the mistakes I made in my career. Um, I, I, I got an offer from, from Zimbabwe who really wanted me. 
I was a little bit more than two years in Namibia. I had the feeling that I had reached the maximum what I could reach with the group. Um, and, and Zimbabwe had uh, more potential, more players playing in Europe, like Benjani at that time in Manchester City and, and some other players. Mm. Um, so I, I chose for that step, but that went totally wrong. Uh, I never coached the game for Zimbabwe. And after two weeks Zimbabwe, I had to escape the country, uh, run away uh, to, to save my life almost. So, wow. Uh, that's a, a crazy story, also. Um, so that that from from being on the top with Namibia after two weeks, uh, Zimbabwe being without job uh, left Namibia. So yeah, sometimes you take decisions, wrong decisions, and also when you are young, uh, you sometimes want to go too fast uh, up, uh, and that that was yeah, sometimes also the problem in, in, mm. in the choices I made. And just on that, then, you know, you talk there a little bit about coaches wanting to maybe move too quick with their journeys and their careers. How important is it then, you know, for coaches to really take their time? Because obviously there is that challenge sometimes where coaches want to, they want to progress up the ladder, maybe because there's more financial gain involved. Um, but that element of patience, how important do you think that really is? And, you know, do you mind just talking a bit about... Yeah, um, yeah, because a lot of people judge about my CV, then some people look at me and say, hey, you worked with so many clubs, so many countries in so short a period of time. What's, what's wrong with this guy? Uh, and, and, and people always see things from their own view. Um, so after the two weeks Zimbabwe, and, and I had nothing to do with it, it was a political case. Uh, they were, later it came out, they were involved in match fixing and I was a professional coach who would be not be able to be used for match fixing because I would select the, the best players and not the players who could be convinced to, to match fixing. But at that time, no one knew mm. that and I had to, to run away, really. Uh, and, and after that, I, I was forced to accept sometimes short deals. I, I had a five-month deal with Ethiopia. They had no, no budget to sign longer-time coach. I had a three-month deal with Malawi. I had a three-month deal with Bangladesh. I always did my deals. People were satisfied. But most of the time, there was no budget for a foreign coach because these countries, they plan, oh, we have games that period. We need a coach. Oh, we have 10 months, no game. We don't spend money for, for 10 months on a coach. And I have to say, um, people say from, hey, if someone stay very short in a period, in a country, in a club, in, in a job, they, they don't know really what's behind it. And, and the, so mm. it's the, the, the perception from people is very negative to see uh, that you had many short-term jobs because they think you got fired or mm. for some reason you're a difficult guy. So it's important for a coach uh, to have some stability, to stay somewhere longer uh, for the perception for the old South world. On, on the other side, uh, I have to say, I know a few coaches and I don't going to mention names, coaches who worked in Africa, coaches who worked in other countries, who, who worked for four or five years with the same country, who did a good job in that country, but never got another job after that. So um, it, it, it's, not, it's not a guarantee uh, that stability uh, get noticed as quality. Sometimes if you stay too long in a job, people say, yeah, he did it well there, but he, he is not ambitious enough or he has maybe not a quality to move to another country or another club. So you have to find mm. the balance between uh, staying long enough and not too long. <laughs> uh, mm. I think that's very important. But naturally, sometimes, and, and uh, when we work in Europe and when you look at to the glasses from European side, uh, okay, we think everyone signed a one, two, three year contract and you finish it or you get fired. 
yeah, the outside world, when you work in the Arab world, when you work in North Africa or in the Middle East, yeah, 90% of the coaches never finish their contract, even if you are a top coach, even if you are a coach who works with Real Madrid or, or Barcelona, you still get fired in these countries uh, because one game you lose and you're out. Uh, and it has nothing to do if you are a bad coach. It has to do with their culture. Um, like I said, in Africa, in Asia, a lot of countries have not the, the budget to plan long term uh, on, 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 on mm. football. So they look from, hey, we have a few qualifiers the coming two, three months. Let's appoint a good coach for that. Uh, after that, we have um, no budget anymore and we don't spend it also. So um, just on that, yeah, like, no um, what sort, just on that, what sort of. Like obviously, you have it's essentially like three, four month uh, camps or like durations that you have to plan. Like, how do you do that on the day to day? Like, how like the first time they had to encounter on you know such a contract well, was it with uh, Ethiopia? Yes, exactly. It was with Ethiopia. Um, the, yeah. the the funny part with Ethiopia was I had um, on the same day. <laughs> Uh, um, I, I, I was announced on the same day by two countries as national team coach because I was talking to oh. two nations. Uh, I was talking to Swaziland, now Isfatini, and, uh, mm. and Ethiopia. And uh, so it, it was after the disaster what happened in Zimbabwe. Uh, I had a fantastic job done in, in Namibia. In Zimbabwe, I was two weeks, had to run away, never played the game, gave only two training sessions there. Uh, and then and, and I went to Shabab Lordon in Jordan did a good job, we ended second there, but I wanted to return to the national team coaching job and, and also to Africa. So I was talking to two federations. Swaziland offered me a two-year contract, if I remember it right, and I could earn more money in Swaziland than Ethiopia. Uh, but Ethiopia had, um, had uh, more quality in my eyes. All the players were local-based players. There was not one foreign-based professional player in Ethiopia. But I believed in the potential of Ethiopia. And what attracted me to the Ethiopia job was they offered me a five-month contract. They had, uh, in these five months, three qualifiers. The first one was Nigeria. The second one, Guinea-Conakry. And the third one, Madagascar. And what attracted mm -hmm. me was the match against Nigeria. In 2009, I was, for the first time, in talks with Nigeria. I was invited by the Minister of Sport there uh, with the chance to coach the Super Eagles at the 2010 mm -hmm. World Cup. It didn't happen. But for me, this opportunity to play with Ethiopia against Nigeria... I saw it as an opportunity. It's like a job, job interview. Yeah, to, to show what I can do. I mean, I was, I was yeah. in the picture in, in 2009. Now we are in 2011. I can, get, uh, I can show you guys what I can do. So uh, Ethiopia lost 4-0 in, uh, in Nigeria, in Abuja, and they fired the coach. Um, I had offered, it was a Thursday. I was announced in Ethiopia. I was announced in Swaziland. Swaziland offered more money, a long-term contract, and I said, no, I go to Ethiopia. So I took the risk, uh, less mm. money, short-term deal, uh, but with the chance to play in Nigeria. And when I arrived in Ethiopia, it was 10 days before the Nigeria match. <laughs> um, and, and I had my first press conference and I said to these guys, uh, I believe we really can, can achieve something against Nigeria. And the journalists were laughing at me. He said, we are an athletic country, we, we don't play football here. Uh, we lost 4-0. We're going to be beaten again by, by Nigeria. At that time, Nigeria had John Obermichel, uh, Ahmed Moussa, uh, Taiwo Yobo from Everton. So all mm. the big guys uh, were there. Um, and I said, no, we can really do something. And, and 
we played a fantastic game. Uh, was 0-1 for Nigeria, then 1-1 in, uh, before halftime, 2-1 for Ethiopia. And in the 88th minute, Joseph Yobo scored out of a free kick with the head, 2-2. Uh, mm. uh, so we lost. It felt really like a loss, but we played 2-2 against big Nigeria. I had only local-based players. My biggest earner had 200 US dollar a month. Uh, <laughs> and that against Tionopo Mikel and all the other guys. So it was a great performance in a fantastic atmosphere. Uh, Nigeria missed two points on the end of the qualification to go to the African Championship. These two points, they lost them in uh, in Ethiopia. Um, and, and yeah, it, I, I made a, a statement there. We, we, we lost 1-0 in Guinea, but played good and we beat Madagascar 4-2. Uh, so really good results uh, for Ethiopia, who till then was really a losing country. I would have loved to stay, but they told me we have totally no budget for, for a foreign coach. Funny enough, after uh, my contract uh, was stopped of, after the five months with, with Ethiopia, I got immediately a phone call from Nigeria. And Nigeria called me if I was interested to become technical director of the Nigerian Football Federation. So it, it, it worked really well out. My... my, my uh, my bet to go to, to Ethiopia to prove something to, to Nigerian football. And uh, I had talks with them. Uh, it took quite long. Uh, it took many months. I went to Abuja to meet the people, to talk to JJ Kocha, Victor Ikriba, Garbalawal, to the technical committee. And on 28 March 2012, I got appointed uh, as technical director, announced officially um, on a four-year deal. Um, but strange enough, uh, it, it took very long before getting confirmation uh, from government side. And uh, two months later, the Minister of Sports uh, required a local technical director instead of a foreign technical director. Just on that, so, Tom, um, just to kind of touch back. So they've now approached you. They want you to become a technical director. Could you mind just going into a bit of detail of what the expectation was of you as a technical director in that role? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, and I think when we spoke in the beginning about development, education, and we compared to countries, uh, we in Europe, uh, we are used to have uh, a good youth development from a young age. Uh, on the age of four, five years old, kids can go to a football club, uh, local football clubs with a good infrastructure, with uh, qualified coaches uh, who train the kids, who teach the kids uh, to become good football players. When you look to Africa, uh, a continent with so much amazing football players over the last uh, 20, 30, even 40 years, uh, players who came to Europe, uh, who were top players in different leagues in Europe. If you look to the national teams, the achievements of national teams. But strangely enough, all these players never had uh, a real development like we know it in Europe. Most of these players are natural talents, uh, playing on the street, playing on the beach. Uh, some of them trained in some academies, but many times they start on the age of 12, 13, 14, 15. Uh, some people call a youth player still someone who is 20 years old. Uh, so, so my target was Nigeria, a fantastic football country with more than 160 million people uh, who love football, uh, with so much quality players now. If we can get uh, a good youth development in all the regions, uh, organized from one federation, but getting academies all over the regions, getting clubs involved in good development with good infrastructure, with qualified coaches. Yeah, we could become one of the best countries in the world. If Nigeria is now already one of the best football nations in Africa and even 
a regular on World Cup with potential to reach far? Uh, can you imagine when they would have, would have a development on the age of six, seven, eight years old, uh, where they work with qualified players with the natural talent what they have already? So the goal setting was uh, to create uh, a development like Belgium, like Holland. I come from Belgium. We have 11 million people, but we are number one on the FIFA ranking. And if you look all the players we have developed over the last 10, 15 years, it's amazing. Can you imagine if you have 16 times more people and more physical quality like we have in Europe, what you can achieve uh, with Nigeria? So that was the idea a little bit to, to plan on the long term, to create a real development of coaches, of players, uh, of football academies to make a bright future, uh, a more bright future uh, for Nigerian football. And um, just on that, like, you already mentioned, uh, you know, a couple of the big names that you had to work with. Um, how was that? How was that um, challenge? Was there was there anything that you had to particularly do to get the respect of those big players, such as like the Joseph Yobos, um, uh, Janobi Mikels, etc.? No, because I would be I would be not uh, the first team uh, coach uh, at that moment of time. Uh, Sasha Samson uh, was there, and I think uh, Stephen Keshi came just in charge. Uh, they would mm. be uh, responsible for 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 the senior national team uh, in the first place. My my goal setting was to create the whole surrounding uh, real development mm. up to the to under twenty three uh, to 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 build the future. I would be there uh, as a consultant. Also for senior level, um, but uh, yeah, I never got that opportunity to really start off my job, as I said, because the minister of sport uh, he wanted a local person at that moment of time in the job, and that was very sad because I worked for mm. many years. I the aim was there to work with the best of the best, uh, and I think we all know that in Africa, Nigeria is is, is probably one of the best uh, football nations. And um, I also uh, said no to several offers in that period uh, to go for Nigeria. And, and yeah, it ended before it started. Uh, and yeah, that, that was quite difficult to, to swallow because, mm. yeah, I, uh, they contacted me. I had several talks. Uh, I went to Nigeria to talk to them. Uh, they were really convinced in my philosophy. I was officially appointed. Uh, but I ne really never could, could do the job. I had still a good relationship with the people there, with the big names like J.D. Okocha, Victor Ikpeba, the former stars who really believed that, that development is necessary. But we, uh, we never could take off. They appointed the local coach um, and, and the plans all became came in the fridge and never really were executed like I thought. Mm. But that, that would have, um, of course, like... Uh kind of planted the seed that like uh, and regardless of what happened after the appointment you you know that you could um you could get to such a level uh so you moved on then to uh to young africans in tanzania is that correct yeah i, I got contacted by them uh it's a, a, a big club in, in in tanzania for us uh in europe tanzania is a little bit on unknown football nation. Now we know Samata, who performed well in Belgium and who plays now in England. Uh, but for mm. the rest, we don't know so much about Tanzania. But uh, in Tanzania, the, the league football is, is huge. You have two giants, Simba and Yanga, uh, and approximately both have about 10 million fans. Um, and they offered me a, a nice deal, uh, and I, I was into the excitement. Uh, I went there, um, 
it was a fantastic experience. I mean, a few hundred people were waiting for me at the airport. Uh, my first training sessions were uh, uh, people had to pay to watch the training sessions. We had more than 1,500 <coughs> people watching my sessions. We played friendlies for 15,000 people and every league match for 40,000 people. Even if we played 1,000 kilometers away a game, uh, we were escorted by fans uh, to, 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 to the city uh, where we had to play. And there were when there were 20,000 people, there were 19,500 supporting for us. So it was fantastic experience in the, the real passion of football, something what players and coaches really love. Uh, the level, naturally, it's not the same as working with Nigeria or working with a national team, but the passion of football in, in Tanzania is fantastic. And yeah, it was a great mm. experience. We won immediately the Sikafra Cup, what is uh, the Champions League for East and Central Africa. Uh, so that was really a, a great achievement. Uh, but then the, the the hunger came again uh, for national team, and uh, after a short period in Yanga, I left uh, to to Yemen uh, to coach there the national team in tough in tough circumstances. But that was also a great experience. So what just on that, you know, so just uh, just on that, Tom, you know, you talk there about all the fans coming out to watch your training sessions. I'd be very interested just to get a bit more insight around what your philosophy is and what your, I guess, uh, go to things are when it comes to training your players yeah it, 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 it's different uh depending if you are a club coach or a national team coach that's the first thing w- where you have to change your way of working as a national team coach you have a short period of time most of the time you have three four days maximum before a game sometimes mm. only one training session before a game so as a national team coach the focus is on uh, tactical and uh mental, psychological, to create a group. As a club coach, you have all the facets. You have the technicals, the part where you try to make players better. You have the, the physical part where you have to be creating the players ready to play games and perform on the long term. And actually also the tactical and the mental part. So it's a different way of, of working. Uh, and also I'm developed in, in, in that way. Um, before 2005, I told it earlier, uh, my philosophy was very much Dutch orientated. I, I was someone from the Dutch school uh, who liked the, the way of offensive playing football, also in my training sessions, a lot of passing skills with the focus on on, on, on quality passing, uh, because I always say um, playing fast combination football has nothing to do with the, the tempo of running, but has to do with the quality of your passes. If you give a perfect pass, you can uh, get a perfect pass back. Um, if you need to enforce a control, then uh, the tempo go out of the game. So uh, that was always my philosophy, still a little bit my philosophy. But being fired yeah. in, in Germany uh, after having good games, uh, changed my mentality a little bit more to a stronger organization, more Italian, German-based, uh, good defense block. Um, and, and, but it depends of, of which team you play, work with, what is the quality of your players, what is the quality of the team. I, I never believe in coaches who, who, who always have the same story in every team they work. Uh, I, I see sometimes coaches getting appointed in teams uh, who fight against relegation and their first press conference is, yeah, we're going to play a uh, nice combination football with three strikers. And then I think, yeah, this is a nice uh, selling story. Probably the president believed you, but it's not realistic for the quality of the team compared to the quality of the opponents you will play against. And I think as a coach, yeah. it's very important to adapt, uh, to analyze the quality of your players and always 
compare that to the quality of your opponent because if you have good players but the opponent has better players, yeah, your players are not good enough anymore. So you have to change your philosophy. As a coach, you really have to um, to anticipate on that. And uh, I'm always a coach, first of all, who works a lot with ball. Uh, that Dutch school is still there. I even try to have my physical training sessions. I have a physical coach, but we always implement it in, 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 in football exercises, not the old-fashioned running in the forest or running up to hills. No, we are modern coaches who work with, uh, with uh, polar and uh, heart frequency and everything, trying to do it on the pitch in game forms, in passing skills and these kind of stuff. Uh, but always with a goal, always with a tactical goal. And for me, uh, the most important things in football are the tactical attitude of players. I think uh, give me a team what is weaker than the opponent, I still can beat that opponent if I have the right tactics and the right mentality of players. If you create a team of players, it's not always the best 11 who need to play, it's the best team you need to play. And so I, as a coach, work a lot on creating a team, building a team, an atmosphere in it, analyze my players on and off the pitch to find who are the leaders, who are the, the, the players who mm. can uh, push for more, who are the difficult guys, um, and, 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 and try to do a lot of people management. And even on the pitch, and that's good if you have a good staff, if you have a good assistant coach, a good physical coach, you as a head coach, you can focus on, on, on all the other things. You can observe a lot, you can talk to players individually, you can go deeper into every individual part. Because in modern football, you're a coach of a team, but you're also coach of every individual. And to get the maximum out of every player, it's very important to focus on that. Mm. And just on that, you know, to talk about getting maximum out of every player, what would be some of the strategies that you've maybe applied in the past to really, you know, achieve that aspect of things? Uh, first of all, I think um, I'm known as a disciplinarian. Uh, for me, discipline is very important in, in everything in life. Uh, if you want to achieve something, you need to have a certain discipline for yourself. Uh, if you are in a team, it's very important to have also discipline to respect your teammates to, to, to respect your coaching staff, your club, your fans, uh, if you're a national team player, to respect your country. So that's quite important. And players have to understand that we are uh, blessed by being able to do um, our, our hobby as a job. Because on the end, if you're Rooney, Beckham, Ronaldo, Messi, it started all as a hobby. We kicked the ball because we loved kicking a ball, not because we knew we'd become millionaire or become a top player or top coach with it. That must be the first thing. You have to understand that you are the most beautiful job in the world and you have to respect that and, and, and respect the rules who are needed to perform well, rules on and off the pitch. That's the basis of that. That's for everyone the same. But then as a coach, you have to... Try to analyze each player, how to reach. And I see a lot of uh, coaches, managers in, in, in Europe making mistakes by working with players from a foreign origin, uh, by saying from everyone is the same, for everyone is the same. I agree on that. Everyone has to respect the same rules. But the way you approach people can be different. The way you put your arm around someone can be different. Coaches who shout mm. to certain players with a certain background can destroy the player because in their culture, it's not done to shout. 
there are a lot of details. So for me as a coach, you have to learn a lot about your players, about the culture. When I go to a new club, to a new country, I study a lot, not only about the football, but also about the, 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 the dance and not dance in it, the, the, the culture, the habits, the religion. Uh, because for me, it's important to understand the player and, and, and what is important for these people. Um, and that, that a lot of coaches make that mistake. Also, when a foreign player comes to Europe, we don't understand the player most of the time. And it's very important to understand the guy and to make him feel comfortable, to get the maximum out of it. I give you one example. I had one player in Gambia. I don't going to mention his name. He played very well my first game with Gambia against Algeria. And then he played two games very bad against Togo. Uh, and then uh, the fourth game against Benin in, in the two, three training sessions before, he was, sorry for my word, he was really an asshole. He was, he was ridiculous. <laughs> he, was, he, was, he was making jokes. He was not focused. He was commenting and everything. Um, and I called him on the day of the game with, uh, in, my, in my room. I said, hey, um, you played very good against Algeria. You played two games terrible. And this week you were really a catastrophe the way you behave that i told him there's no coach in the world who will let you play today so the guy really understand that he will not play and then i say but today you're gonna play you have to show me that you deserve to play so i tried to be in the mental i didn't put him on the pitch uh because yeah he is good he had to know what he did wrong and he had to be motivated to show me uh, what he can do. That he's really um, supervised by me. He played, he scored the goal, he played fantastic again. So it's very important to, to find the personal touch with every player. And every player is different. You have introvert players, extrovert players, you have clowns in the team. And you need sometimes also these players, eh? because if you are in a hotel, if you are traveling, sometimes you need also that clown to take a little bit of stress away. Uh, coaches who kick all the difficult players out, most of the time don't get a winning team because you need sometimes the difficult players to fight difficult players off the pitch or sometimes also difficult players on the pitch. So you need all the, the type of players in your team, but you need to also to work with them to get all the noses in the same direction. But you cannot say everyone is the same. You really work in the individual. You talk a lot. You observe a lot. You study a lot about these players and you try to find the personal touch to get the maximum out of that player so that player has confidence in you and you can show confidence in the player. Just on that, um, I just want to harken back a bit like, uh, to your uh, degree. It was in sports psychology. How much, like, I'm just hearing you speak uh, about, like, you know, it's about the individuals and maximizing those individuals and thinking of, like, you know, different approaches to them. How much as your background in sports psychology played in the way that you kind of apply yourself on a day-to-day now as a coach? Um, I think um, one of the most important jobs of, of a coach is to be a psychologist. Uh, I think mm. the, the Jurgen Klopp's of today, even the Mourinho's and so, their quality is psychology. The way how they motivate, how they touch players, how they let players do what they want to do. Um, do you need a degree in psychology? Probably not. The reason I studied psychology uh, was uh, because I wanted to become a coach and I want to use it. And uh, uh, 
you can be a very good psychologist without a degree, uh, and you can be a, a very terrible psychologist with a degree. Uh, so I don't hmm. see, must see the relation, but naturally it's in me because my interest to to make the link from hey I'm going to study sport psychology because I want to become a coach was already clear that at that time when I was 17, 18, I knew that psychology was a very important part in, in sport and in football. And I really believe in that. And in, in clubs, um, it's even, it's not more important. National team is also important. But in clubs, a lot of money get lost by coaches, by managers of teams who can't handle, who can't work with players. A club buy a very good player from Brazil, from Africa, from anywhere in the world. Uh, and the coach... Uh, can't handle the player, can't understand the player, can't work with the player, don't understand the culture. And then after two, three months, everyone say, oh, the player is not good enough, he doesn't perform. We have to rent him out, we have mm. to sell him. Um, and, and that's not always the truth. Many times it's the coach who didn't get the maximum out of the player, who didn't understand the player, how to treat him, uh, where he comes from, how he can help him to adapt in a new environment. Because... Um, even if we speak most of all English, it doesn't mean coming in time doesn't mean the same in England, in Germany, or in 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 in, in, in any other country in the world. Uh, uh, being disciplined means also something different. Even country in one country, you can have a different culture. Uh, people mm. from the north, from the south. So uh, we have to understand that we work with a team, but every person is individual different. And as a coach. You are there to perform, to get on daily base results, to try to win every match, to make players better, but also to get the maximum out of every player. Because as a national team coach, okay, you have only a few games in a year, so you need the maximum out of these players. But as a club coach, a club invested in a player, maybe if you get more out of that player, the club can sell that player. So business-wise, it's very mm. important. And I think a lot of... Uh, Coaches make mistakes in that, don't understand that role. They are still the old-fashioned way from, I'm the coach and this has to happen. Uh, but the mm. top coaches, the few ones I mentioned and a lot of others, they understand that it's about the individual approach to make a player better and um, sometimes letting play better than his real quality is. Um, and, and, and then you get results as a team, then you get results as a coach, and then the player can achieve more in his career. Definitely. And just uh, in regards to that, is that, that individual approach and, you know, I, I'm sure you've had some special individuals that you've uh, had to manage and coach in particularly with your experience with Togo, uh, <laughs> where you had this, <laughs> where you had a certain Emmanuel Adebayor. Can you just tell us a bit about your experience um, like with Togo and like, how was it, Managing that, like um, you you know you had the, you had this uh, big player, and obviously the disparity between him and the rest of his teammates were quite big. Um, at that point, like how did you manage um those sort of difference in ability and levels there? Yeah, to be honest, uh, I'm I'm maybe on the end when I look back, I'm not fully satisfied about how it went. Um, but for me, let me say, uh, Shea Manuel Adbayor is probably the best player I ever worked with. He, um, 
He's a fantastic player. Uh, his technical, physical skills are outstanding. Uh, the fact that he played so many years in England for teams as Arsenal and uh, and uh, Tottenham, that he played for Real Madrid, I think that shows enough about his capacity and his quality. He is a fantastic player, and and he is one of the best African players in history. Hundred percent clear. Mm. The only problem is that um, in Togo uh, we had some good players. We had, uh, I think, about Floyd Aite who played for Fulham. We had uh, Mathieu Dosefi, who was from Olympiacos Piraeus, uh, Alexis Romao from Olympique Marseille. We had several players well. who are good, but naturally not the, the statute of Emmanuel Adebayor. And, and mm. the problem when I arrived in, in Togo was that um, there were a lot of political um, uh, involvement in the way that Many people love Adebayor and many people hate him. So as a coach, you have a lot of people talking to you. Um, and, and, and Adebayor is a little bit above everyone. So I made him, he was in my selection for the first uh, game. We would play a friendly in Ghana uh, on a Monday. Uh, and the week after on Sunday, we would play a qualification game against Liberia. Uh, the, the Monday before, of the Sunday before, uh, so eight days before we have our Liberia game, I call my camp and there are all the players are there. The players from Marseille, Olympiacos, all the players are there except one. Adebayor is not there. Okay, I have training on Monday, I have training on Tuesday. He's not there. Um, so for me, that was very strange because even if I want to give him the respect, even if I want to talk to him and use his quality, his experience, his knowledge of the team, if he is not in the hotel, if he's not there, if I can't reach him, uh, I cannot talk to him. And on Tuesday, we trained for about 5,000 people in the stadium. We are already training for 40 minutes. Uh, we're playing 11 against 11. Someone on a motorcycle comes in the stadium, a motorcycle with two wheels in front and one wheel in the back, leather suit on, and it's Adebayor. So he comes by himself <laughs> on a motorcycle in the stadium. 5,000 people start screening. He runs over the pitch to me. He has done his clothes out. Uh, he runs to me. He says, hey, coach, I say Emmanuel Bayor. I said, yes, I know that. Uh, and he asked me, can I train with you? I said, yeah, I expected you already earlier. I said, but I didn't want to make a fight there. I said, please make a warming up with my physical coach and, and play with the team who had only 10 because we played 11 against them. <laughs> I missed one player on training. Uh, and I said, please come after training to the hotel so that we can talk. He said, okay, no problem. Um, so he trained, fantastic, fantastic football player. Uh, Wednesday evening, no other Bayor in the hotel. Tuesday, no other Bayor on the hotel, not in the training session. Friday, we have a game again on training, 11 against 11. He comes again, one minute too late, not with motorcycle this time. Uh, he plays again, and after the training, he comes to me and he says, Coach, I'm ready. Monday, I can play against uh, Ghana. And I said, Shay, with all respect, but you cannot be in the squad for Ghana. Yeah, but coach, I'm Shay Manuel Albayora. I'm the captain of the team. I said, the whole team is in the hotel. I don't allow my players to leave the hotel. I don't ask. I don't allow people to visit. There's a strict discipline. You don't want girls to come in. You don't want them to leave. Uh, all this stuff. So if you are not in the hotel, how can I sell that to the rest of my team? The other players play also for big teams in Europe. Yeah, but even I can sit on the bench. I said, no, you will be not in the squad. Only when you respect the team, uh, you will be part of the team in the future. 
he was in Ghana, but he was not in the squad. He was in the stands. Uh, and um, the day after, on Tuesday, we come together in the hotel in the afternoon in, in Togo to prepare our Sunday game, Liberia game. And who arrives in the hotel? Shay Emmanuel Albayor. He was the first one in the hotel for the camp. He was the first one breakfast, lunch, dinner. He was the first one in the bus for training session. Never had a problem with him. He was a mm. perfect example for everyone. So, but the problem with these players is that the whole world, the 7 million people in Togo, uh, adore these guys because naturally he has a fantastic budget. He earns a lot. He's a fantastic star, brilliant career. And the reality is that in a football team, you still need to be part of the team. You cannot say from you go home and the rest have to stay in the hotel. Uh, that, 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 that's not possible. In the hotel, I want to talk to my players. I want to talk about tactics. I want to know my players better for sure if I start as a coach. So, so it's very important to respect that. And uh, from that moment, I had no problem anymore with him. But it was quite tough. And it's not his fault. It's also the surrounding, the people who make him like that. If, if even the mm. president of the country uh, give him a diplomatic passport, he is the best friend of the president of the country. I mean, I understand <laughs> that, 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 that it's very difficult for a, a guy, a Shea, to, to understand. There comes now a, a Belgian coach who say, hey, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to be part of this or that. So um, if, if people always accept everything. So for me, I, I look to the individual as a person. I try to motivate every person individual. I respect a lot of your own habits, but there are also group rules. And for sure, uh, certain thing. Also, we are representing a country. Budget comes from the government, from a federation. You have to respect to stay in the hotel, to respect the rules. It, we are not there for partying. We are not there to have a holiday. We are there to perform. So in that way, I'm also a responsible for um, the, the perception from the outside world to the team. And, and then I cannot allow that uh, individual people uh, don't be part of the group because on the end, as a coach, you are responsible and people will blame you for that. But like I said, I'm still in touch with, with Adabior when he made the transfer to Paraguay. I sent him a message, we replied. So we now and then have a chat on, 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 on WhatsApp. Uh, for me, he is uh, probably the best player I ever worked with. And I think one of the best players ever in, in African history. Uh, but it's not always easy to work with this kind of players, naturally. Definitely. You, know, you talked a bit about it there in, in, in some detail and gave us a great story there about Adebayo. Um, <laughs> I could just, I'm just vision, visualising Adebayo coming on his motorcycle as we speak. <laughs> um, could you just, t you know, through all of your roles, and, you know, you've had quite a few of them, and you know, we haven't even got to, I guess, where you are today with your journey, but... What would you say are some of the biggest lessons you've learned in terms of how you go about leading others? Oh, um, I think as a coach, you, you, you have to develop always. You have to learn always. Um, and you have to understand that you will make always somewhere a mistake. Uh, the moment you think you, you don't make mistakes, you are perfect, then it goes wrong. So uh, I learned a lot in every coaching role, how short or how long it was in every country. I learned from myself, but I also learned from my colleagues, from local people. For me, um, what I learned also is that uh, the society has changed. The, the players from now are not anymore the players from 20 years ago. Um, 
we are much more liberal. Uh, we are much more open. Uh, players have much more uh, ideas, thoughts, uh, private life, social media is there. Uh, so it's much more difficult uh, to control. Uh, and you need much more a people manager to lead. Um, we know still the time from the 70s, the 80s, when a coach say, run 10 laps around the pitch, uh, do 20 sit-ups, or I don't know what. Uh, that time is gone. Um, first of all, as a leader, you have to show uh, quality. You have to show that you know where you talk about, because otherwise you will get easier discussion. In the past, when a coach would say something, um, everyone will accept it. Now, players will say, hey, coach, I don't agree with that. That's changed during the last 20, 30 years. Um, and uh, you have to be, like I said, much more a people manager to be a leader. You can't be a dictator. You have to be one of them, uh, understanding them and, 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 and uh, be yeah, be yeah, people manager, as I said. So that changed with me. There were periods in my life I had it already 10, 15 years ago. I made sometimes mistakes in it later on. Uh, but you always develop, you always change. And afterwards, you think, damn, maybe I had to do it different or I made a mistake there. And very important as a coach is to analyze also yourself, to always uh, be. Um, honest uh, when things go wrong also when things go good to say from what did I do was it the right approach or how can I do better and maybe if you have some trustees around you also to get feedback from the people you work with for a longer period um, the moment you as a coach think you know everything it goes wrong I said it already a few times uh, I'm also more um, maybe that's interesting when I started as a coach I wanted to do everything by myself because I thought I knew everything the best and I couldn't trust anyone else that they could do the job. Now I'm in the situation that I'm a coach who has a goalkeeper coach, a physical coach, analyst, assistant coach, who I can let do their job and I have more time to observe and to coordinate. So I evaluate, evaluated from uh, a coach who did everything by himself to someone who coordinates, who manages the people, not only the players, but also his staff. And that's an evolution you make also as a, as a manager, as a coach. And that's also the modern way of leading, I think. And just, you know, going through your journey now, you know, we've, you, you've again picked up on various roles. Could you just talk to us a bit about what's key, you know, 23 years now you've been coaching, you know, you're still at a relatively, you know, I would say a young age for a coach still for have to have 20, 23 years worth of experience. What's kept you inspired and, and, and motivated to keep, uh, I guess, striving to get to the next level and being your best in that respect? Yeah, I, I have one, <coughs> one ambition, one goal, one dream. Um, and I don't know if I will achieve that, but that's the, the main reason I'm, I'm national team coach. And that's, going to a World Cup. Uh, that's the reason mm. I'm, I, I get several offers frequently from club teams, sometimes financially much more attractive, uh, two, three, four times more than what I earn as a national team coach. But the motivation to go once to a World Cup is, is my real ambition as a coach. Um, and, and for that, you need to improve yourself, you need to learn and you need to develop. 
and you need sometimes steps between to go where you want to go. And I was hoping a few times, also in 2016, I was one of the three shortlisted people for the Super Eagles job again. Uh, I didn't make it on the end, but I have always that. That's my main target. I want to go once as national team coach uh, to a World Cup. Uh, I'm 47 now. I feel already old, but like you said, as in manager coaching terms, uh, it's not yet there. And for sure, if you have 23 years of coaching experience, um, but yeah, I, I want to reach that highest. I'm I'm someone who is never a coach uh, for money. Um, my I'm always a coach with ambition. I want to achieve always more and better, and I want to develop always and become better. Uh, so that that's that keeps me going on. And, and, and that's my, my biggest motivation. Um, sometimes it made me restless mm. that I wanted to go too fast, that I took sometimes the wrong decisions, signed the wrong contracts, going too fast to another, um, an, another project uh, when the other project was not yet finished. Uh, and that killed me in a few moments. Uh, but uh, now I'm more maybe relaxed. Uh, I found the right job, I think, with the right team, with the right players, uh, with getting great results and, and developing and still not being on our limits. Uh, but my target is and, and will stay to, to, to work till I get to a World Cup. Fantastic. Yeah. And just, you know, just on that, you know, again, you know, you've really had a, a fantastic journey and really interesting one to date. What would you say? And you touched a bit earlier about, you know, your situation in Zimbabwe. And I'm sure that's probably one of the biggest uh, challenges in your coaching journey, even in your life, really. But what would you say one of the biggest challenges specifically within your coaching journey has been? And if so, um, if you've been able to even, have you been, how have you dealt with that? Maybe, yeah, Zimbabwe was naturally uh, quite strange. Uh, you arrived there, uh, they, they, they bought me out of my contract with, with, with Namibia. Uh, and then after two weeks, giving only two, three training sessions, you have to, to escape by night uh, to Botswana, uh, still with the idea to return, but you never could return because of, of some strange uh, things were happening. And, and, and then two years later, it come out what was really going on. But maybe the most uh, frustrating uh, experience was uh, Trinidad and Tobago. Um, I signed or I agreed in 2016 and 2016 uh, to become uh, for six months national team coach of Trinidad and Tobago. Um, for me, Trinidad, I knew them actually from the 2006 World Cup, uh, a country with a lot of potential in a region where it looks easier to be able to qualify for the World Cup. Less countries, less, less big, big, uh, big countries. You have USA, you have Mexico, and then you have Jamaica, Trinidad, you have Honduras, uh, El Salvador, Costa Rica, Panama. But at least it's not so difficult as, as, as in Africa. So I thought it would be a fine opportunity. Um, Trinidad had some problems. They, they failed to qualify for the Gold Cup. Uh, they fired the coach. And they had uh, still uh, one play off uh, to play what made them able maybe to qualify for, for the Gold Cup. I came in a few weeks before these games. They were played on non-FIFA date in January. Um, I came in 10 of December and my first game would be the 2nd of January or something like that. Um, I made the selection and uh, Trinidad had some players in Europe playing, some players in the United States and Mexico. Uh, and strangely enough, uh, I made a selection, I think, from 30 players. And 17 players didn't show up 
for my national team game. Uh, 17 from the 30. Uh, wow. What happened was wow. that not all of them were invited. Um, not all of them were invited to play for the country. And then uh, I invited local-based players. Uh, and one team didn't want to release the players because the league was still on when we had to play our games. So I asked uh, the federation to stop the league for two weeks so that all the players could be released from the clubs. And the federation refused to uh, stop the league. Uh, what was for me very strange because the national team had crucial games to go uh, to play Haiti and Suriname to qualify for the Gold Cup. I was not able to get my foreign base, my best foreign-based players. I was not able to get five players from Central FC who were not released uh, by Brad Sancho, the president of the club. What I understood, because he had also to pr uh, protect his own team to, to become champion, uh, and the, the league was not uh, postponed. So um, I, on the end, played with not the first category of players, not the second category, but probably the third category of players. Um, and on the end, we failed to qualify. We played two times a draw and lost in extra time against Suriname and lost in extra time against Haiti. And uh, mm. on the end, uh, people think, because the outside world doesn't know what's going on, uh, they say Trinidad lose. <laughs> Trinidad didn't qualify. Uh, and still I had the contract. And I left by myself after 35 days. Uh, it was a very strange mm. feeling. I resigned uh, and I discussed it with my family. I discussed it with my, with my staff. I had no idea what was the right decision because it was really a dream to work with, with a country as Trinidad and Tobago. And I loved working with the people, with the players, with the staff. But in that way, I couldn't achieve anything. And um, strangely enough, uh, the president of the federation at that moment of time, he owned a club. And um, it looked like he preferred that I would select players of his club so that he could make transfers with them. Uh, so uh, it, it is frustrating because as a coach, you get blamed for the results. The outside world will think, hey, Tom didn't achieve anything at poor results. Uh, but mm. they don't know that I didn't work with my first category of players. I didn't work with my sec second category. I was worked with, with the third category. And I played against the best category of Haiti and the best category of Suriname. And, and that's a frustration. And if you work somewhere longer, if you know the league longer, if you arrive maybe three, four, five months before, you have much more time to adapt. But if you arrive two, three weeks before such games and, and you have really limitation in, in who you can select and who's showing up, um, so that was maybe the biggest disappointment, the biggest frustration uh, in, in my coaching career, because I really believed that working with Trinidad would be a fantastic step in my career. And yeah, it went the opposite way. Mm. And just on that, you know, you, you, what would you say is your biggest bugbear? So no, your bugbear, your biggest frustration when it comes to coaching generally? You know, obviously, that's you've, you've talked there about, about some of the challenges that you face and your frustration in that respect. <coughs> what would you say as a, as a generic thing across coaching that, you know, that you maybe have experienced and observed uh, other coaches, and whether that be their mindsets or the way they adapt, adopt themselves within their work? Oh, uh, at the moment, I, I, to be honest, I don't have so much frustrations because, like I already said, I, I enjoy my job in Gambia very much. I have the pleasure to work with fantastic players, a lot of uh, quality players, uh, skillful players, very disciplined. I have the pleasure to work with good staff and, and uh, very be, very good supported by the Federation. But if I look to the past and previous experiences, um, it, it's sometimes so that my experience is that 
uh, professional football is not always run that professional. Um, there are a lot of political games. There are a lot of uh, influences from outside, um, and 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 that makes it very difficult. And people who run football are not always the people who understand football. Um, it, it 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 makes it much more 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 difficult. Uh, coaches. Uh, who, who who make a nice story? Uh, what's probably not realistic get easier than nice jobs. Uh, probably they fail then afterwards, but they got a job. Uh, if you'd give a realistic story, uh, presidents of clubs are not so eager to sign you because they like to hear that you're gonna play like uh, Manchester City or Barcelona, even if they play against mm. relegation with two points out of ten games. Uh, so so I mean that that's maybe the biggest frustration. And I will be not able to change. And it's all over the world like that. It's in Belgium like that. It will be in England like that. It will be in Germany or in Italy like that. It's all over the world like that. Um, football is not always run on, on um, real football uh, thoughts. Uh, it's a lot of emotion. It's a lot of emotion. And, and in the last 10, 15 years, social media, uh, internet uh, has a lot of impact. Uh, everyone talks about a philosophy uh, even if it's not a realistic philosophy, and it's quite frustrating uh, to 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 battle against that. But like I said, at the moment I'm I'm a coach with uh, uh, very little frustration in me. I'm I'm a very happy coach. I'm a very pleasant coach, and I love uh, doing my job. And I learned to cope also with that frustration. In the beginning of my career, I I had these battles, and and I got really frustrated in it. I got even disappointed in it and, 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 and sometimes thought from, hey, why I do this? Uh, now I know it exists. I know uh, not everyone has mm. the same thoughts. Not everyone thinks professional. I can't change them. So I learned not to bother on it. And I do my job as a professional and try to find the right people to work with. Mm. Uh, and just um, if you could uh, turn back time now. 23 years ago uh, when a young Tom Tom St. Fate uh, was starting his coaching journey, what would you tell them? (laughs) Sometimes I think about that. Um, I I, I sometimes think by myself, I started too late to become a coach. (laughs) Really? Too late? (laughs) Yes, really. It sounds ridiculous, I know. Uh, Because time is flying. And I loved every journey, every step I took, uh, even if it was a wrong one. Uh, the person I am, the human I am, the coach I am, it, it came because of all the steps I took. I, 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 I have so much beautiful experiences of working in different cultures with, with players on different levels, uh, speaking so many different languages, learning a lot about the world, about uh, coaching, about uh, habits, cultures and everything. It, it, it was fantastic. And I would not change a lot. Maybe some decisions I would have not taken. Uh, but I guess I would have tried to become earlier professional coach before my 28. And, 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 mm. and really, uh, it, it flies so fast. But I'm, I'm okay. There are a lot of decisions afterwards. You can say uh, why I did this or why I did that. But on the end, everything happens with a reason. And if I took a different decision another road, I would not be there where I am now. And I, I love the place and the job I am now. So, um, yeah, sometimes things, you don't have control over it. So I think as, as, as for, for, for young coaches, 
you have to believe in it. The only thing what what I would say is I get a lot of people who contact me sometimes on social media, on Facebook, and they ask and they say, hey, I would love to have a career like you. Can you help me? And and then I have to tell you one important rule is in football, there is not a lot of help. You have to do it all by yourself. Uh, all the jobs I got or most of the jobs I got, I had to fight for them to get them. I had to prove myself. I had to to sacrifice sometimes to work for a little budget to prove myself to to get an opportunity i had to make a lot of effort to open doors um you don't get anything as a present uh, it's not that when you start as a coach people are going to call you and offer you the job that happens <clears throat> that happens when you are a top star player then you get these opportunities but for 95% of the coaches and young coaches who are starting you have to work on it. And they are lucky. I started in a time without uh, internet or without uh, having uh, emails and all these times. It just started when I started as a coach. Uh, but now you can find everything on internet. And it's a very intense job to find a job. Uh, and you have to prove yourself. And very important, money can never be the motivation. Uh, some of these coaches who contact me and who want to be my assistant or want to be my goalkeeper coach, they say, this is the minimum I work for. And then I say, yeah, then you have to find another job. And two, three years later, they are still without <laughs> jobs. Uh, so um, the reality is um, a few people earn a lot of money. The other people earn decent salaries. Uh, but don't forget, we do our hobby as job. We have the most beautiful job in the world. And uh, it's fantastic to work with people uh, in football. So uh, if you want to go for it, you have to work for it. You have to believe in it. You have to educate yourself and grow. Uh, but you have to fight for your jobs. And just on that, Tom, you know, you talked there about people reaching out to you for, you know, some support guidance and, you know, maybe some tips on what they can do to maybe get get down that career pathway. Just in your journey yourself, would you say you've had any major influences, possibly in the form of a mentor or someone? Um, and if so, what was the biggest lesson you took from them? Um, most of the jobs I, I, I created by myself in the beginning, naturally by phone calls, by faxes, emails and that kind of top stuff. Later on, you get contacted because you get a name and reputation. If you coach a few national teams, you get easier offers. But it was not so many times agents who contacted me were more the federations or the clubs directly. A mentor, um, I never really had an example as, as, as coach, but uh, working with, with Walter Meus, uh, who was in the 80s, really one of the big players in, in Belgium national team who played the 1980 European Championship final, who played on the World Cup in 1982. He was, uh, for sure, in the beginning of my career, very important. Um, he he, um, he guided me because he, he saw in, in me a little bit a young version of himself. So he, um, he guided me as a person, as a coach, and many times I called him to ask advice what to do in which situation. So he was like a mentor a little bit in that. He couldn't help me to find a job. It's not that he helped me that, but more to advise me in, 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 in approaching people, in working with staff. If you have a conflict in a team, how to approach that. He, he guided me in the beginning of that. And we are still very close friends. He was even on my wedding and all. So, um, yeah, he helped me for sure in, in, in growing to the coach I am. But most of all, 
I learn every day of the people I work with. It doesn't matter if I work in Yemen, Bangladesh, in Trinidad or in Gambia. I learn from the people, the local coaches, the local people. I learn from everywhere something. How little it is, you always grow and develop. And, and that makes you the coach. So I all the people I worked were always my mentor a little bit because um, I was open to learn. I was open to, to become stronger and uh, to, to, to take ideas from everyone. And, and that makes the coach who I am now. Brilliant. So, you know, we still haven't even really got halfway down your journey, to be honest. I mean, you're now, <laughs> you're now sitting in Gambia or not sitting in Gambia right now, but obviously you're working for Gambia right now. You said a lot of your players are in Europe now. What what would you say is the is the goal now for the, for you with the Gambia team? And obviously we've 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 skimmed over the fact that you've worked for a few other nations within that time. Um, you know Malawi being one of them. Uh, you know you talked there briefly about Bangladesh. Um, you actually went on to Malta in 2017, didn't you? Yes, in 2017, 2018, I was national team coach. Uh, of Malta um, mm. that was uh, uh, a nice experience in the way that working in Europe uh, is working in a very well organized organization um, but also with with its problems I don't want to talk too much uh, about what happened there uh, but uh, yeah lucky enough I got fired in Malta uh, because, lucky enough yes because it opened the door <laughs> to go to Gambia uh, and um, I had always uh, a good feeling with Gambia. In the beginning 2000s, I worked with a Gambian player in Faroe Islands. Uh, from that moment, I was in touch, following close uh, Gambian football, and I was always trying to become coach of Gambia. Uh, in 2010, I played with Namibia against Gambia in a full stadium, um, and uh, it was a fantastic experience. And I stayed always in touch with people in, in Gambia, and after being fired in, in Malta, uh, the Gambian people approached me. Um, Gambia did not win a game for f- a, c- a competitive game for five years before my arrival. Their last win wow. was in uh, 2013 in a competitive match. They never won a competitive away match in history. So they were really down when they approached me. And I looked at, at, at the potential, at, at the players. I checked internet. I spoke with some people. And I took the opportunity. And uh, my first game was Algeria. Uh, not an easy game to start. Gambia had lost 1-0 in Benin before my arrival. I took the first game against Algeria and uh, we played for 40,000 people in a stadium with a capacity of 25,000 people. Um, people were sitting in the lights uh, on the roof. People were standing behind the dugout. The game had to be postponed for one and a half hour. Uh, the likes of, of Mares, Brahimi, Fehuli, Slimani. And we played 1-1 mm-hmm. in a fantastic atmosphere. And I really believed in the potential. Luck, uh, sadly enough, we couldn't qualify. We played draw against Togo. We drew also in in uh, in Algeria away, and we beat uh, Benin, the first competitive win for Gambia in five years. Uh, then l- last year we played two friendlies in Morocco. We beat Morocco, the World Cup team from Morocco, zero one in Marrakesh. We won uh, against Guinea Conakry, and now we won also uh, a few months ago in Angola, the first ever in history away qualification game with one three. I have a pleasure to work with so much talented players. My players played for Sampdoria, Bologna, Atalanta, Bergamo, Salernitana, Zurich, Hadjuk Split, uh, Osnabrück, Lillström, uh, Anderlecht, Ghent, Granada, Ayasio, 
so a lot of quality players uh, in Gambia and a lot of more players to come and to develop. So it's, it's, it's really uh, fantastic. Um, the federation is improving day by day. I have a fantastic uh, staff because naturally the work and the achievements we do is it's teamwork, a good team manager, good physical coach, assistant coach. Uh, step by step, we are improving all together. And um, uh, I, I, I signed a new contract last year with Gambia. Uh, and I really believe that uh, we can uh, write history. Gambia never qualified for a tournament. Uh, and currently, we are leading in our African uh, qualification group ahead of uh, Gabon. Gambia is 159 on the world ranking, so it's very low ranked. Um, but we are ahead of Gabon, who is 83 on the world. DR Congo, who is uh, 54 in the world. And Angola, who is 120 in the world. So we are really the small mouse in the group, but we are leading the group. So it's quite nice. And hopefully we can achieve and uh, that all together and qualify Gambia for the first time in history for the African Championship. Sadly enough, we are out of the World Cup qualification, so we have to wait till 2026 uh, to go to the World Cup with Gambia. Well, so I'm sure you know all the work that you're putting in right now. I'm definitely through you know you definitely got mine and Ben's support anyway, and all the people yeah. listening to the coaches network. I'm sure you're gonna have their support, um, Tom. We really hope you do achieve that. But you know, just in line with that, you know, for, for yourself now as a personal goal, um, in, and you you've touched on it a little bit there about trying to get Gambia into a tournament. What would you say is next for you, though? What would be the next big thing for you to kind of move on to after this? You st- I mean, you talked a bit earlier about wanting to move on and wanting to coach at the highest level, to wanting to coach at a World Cup potentially. Anything else on your hit list in that respect? Oh, um, look, I I learned my lesson to go too fast to, 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 to other options. The last year, because of the achievements we got with Gambia, I got several offers from clubs, from big clubs in Africa, from some clubs in Europe. I got uh, several offers from national teams in, in CONCACAF region, in Asia and in, in, in Africa. Uh, and it's always nice to get offers. It's always difficult sometimes to say no, because also there are nice tasks and sometimes financially much more interesting uh, than the Gambia job. But I really uh, feel that uh, my job in Gambia is uh, not finished and has still a long way to go. Uh, My contract normally ends in May 2021, uh, but really we have a very young squad. Uh, a lot of players from the age of 17, 18, 19, 20 years old who play for big clubs in, in Europe. And I'm building a new team for, for Gambian football. Um, my first target, naturally, is try to qualify Gambia for the first time in history to, to go to the African Championship. If we achieve that, try to reach as far as possible on the tournament. But I really believe, and, and maybe it's strange to, when you look to my career, I really believe that uh, Gambia has the potential to be in 2026 on the World Cup, knowing that there will be 48 countries who qualify, nine African countries. Uh, knowing the mm. opponents in Africa, uh, some of them are, are, are going down in quality. I think about Ghana, Ivory Coast, uh, Cameroon. They are not as strong as they were uh, five to ten years ago. Uh, naturally, the North African countries, Senegal and, and Nigeria, they are still there. But Gambia can, can, can claim a, a spot in the top nine of African football. And I would feel honored if, if uh, I could be part of that uh, to achieve that. In football, you never know. Uh, you you always you can't plan long ahead. 
at the moment we have good results and everything goes well. But um, if you lose two games, everything can change. So uh, let's see. But from now, my focus is fully on Gambia. And I would have no problem to stay a long time uh, with Gambia. But still, the goal is there to go to the World Cup. And uh, let's hope I can achieve that with Gambia. Well, hope, hopefully you do. Um, and, you know, you'll see myself and Ben sitting in the, the, you know, the front row when when you're, you know, eventually lifting that trophy, hopefully, one day. Definitely. Oh, but but I, di- I didn't say winning the World Cup. I said going to the World Cup. <laughs> well, we're, 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 we're going to take that one step further for you. We're going to take that one uh, step no further for you. No that, 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 that dream I didn't have. I'm so realistic I was, but reaching the World Cup, qualifying for the World Cup, that, that must be possible. Winning the World Cup, I think I can only achieve that on my PlayStation. and just just on that you know as as we start to wind down now you know if you had uh, 60 seconds now to really give our listeners and our viewers one golden nugget to kind of take away and think about and hopefully apply within their own journeys and their own work what would that be yeah first of all uh, football is is our passion is our love it's, it's our hobby the moment you can make your job of it, go for it. But don't forget, it's your job and it's your hobby. You have to work. You have to work hard to achieve your goals. You have to develop yourself on daily basis. Get your licenses, get your degrees. And also, even if you have them, try to develop yourself on daily basis. Uh, and be uh, reflect yourself uh, constantly to become a better person, to become a be- better coach. Uh, enjoy the moment. Sometimes I forgot that. Uh, enjoy the moment mm. and and live your dreams. Go for it. Fantastic, fantastic. We definitely will. You know, be aiming to support you in living your dreams. And you know, we're going to extend that dream for you. Hopefully, win that World Cup one day, Tom. I, so, <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. I, 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 I like I said, I, that happens uh, only on my PlayStation. Uh, but if if, <laughs> if 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 we can ever qualify for a World Cup and be there, that would be already a fantastic achievement. I believe I have the potential. Uh, I believe Gambia has the potential, and if not in the future with Gambia, maybe another country, but it's still uh, my target, and it's the reason I'm national team coach, and uh, let's see. But uh, looking back on the last 23 years, I enjoyed every role, and I'm very mm. honored to have worked for all the clubs and all the c- countries uh, I worked for, so uh, I can't complain. Just a final one. Have you ever thought about moving over to Europe and then into into the international setup? Um, yes, uh, sure. Uh, there are moments, and and as national team coach, and and th- th- it's sometimes very difficult because you have very little amount of games. Uh, so there are moments that you consider to to work back on club level, uh, and and then it would be nice to work in a in a decent European league. Uh, sometimes that's into my consideration uh, to work in a respected European league, also to achieve there something to show my quality there. Uh, to work with a European national team is sometimes also on my thoughts. Uh, okay, Malta was not the best experience, uh, but to achieve something with with a European country is is sometimes also there. So I never say no to something uh, but at the moment like I said I'm very happy in Gambia uh, and we will see what happens but um, I Mm. hope I still have many years to come Uh, I hope I can still coach uh, let's say for the next uh, 25 to 30 years and hopefully uh, I can also achieve something (coughs) once in in a European club and maybe in a European country as national team coach but I have so many dreams and ambitions uh, 
uh, to go. Life will be too short for that, I'm afraid, but uh, I uh, enjoy the moment. And uh, like I said, I focus on getting good results with Gambia. And after that, we will see what will happen. Brilliant. Some brilliant insights, some very, very entertaining and interesting stories there too. Um, and on that note, Tom, just wondering, have you got any social media um, outlets which people can get in touch with you should they want to? <laughs> uh, I have only Facebook. I'm, I'm not so uh, fashionable. I have no Twitter or no Instagram. I'm on Facebook. Uh, so if, if they can send me always a message on Facebook if they want to know something. Perf- Please do not forget to hashtag the coaches network on instagram and twitter well there you have it guys it's another edition of the coaches network insight series where we sit down with experienced individuals across the multiple disciplines within the coaching world hoping to explore their journeys and key insights in order to package away some golden nuggets that you can apply to help you reach your full potential i've no doubt that you've enjoyed today's episode as much as we have but i just want to say thanks again for tuning in the support is much appreciated please do get in touch with us and today's guests let us know where you're listening from to share your thoughts, views and key takeaways from today's show, along with any suggestions you may have for guests or future topics on the show that you'd like to hear discussed. Ultimately, guys, the show is about yourselves. The content is for you and we just want to continue to create that great content. On that note, get in touch with us on Instagram at The Coaches Network and on Twitter at The Coaches Net. And if you want to touch base with Coach Ben, he's available on Instagram and Twitter at FocusBXN. Lastly, guys, keep an eye on our socials for the latest updates and announcements for upcoming guests and discussion topics with the panel. And until next time, guys, take care. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.